and an alcohol is seven calories per gram. Good to know. <laughs> That's not an official macronutrient, but you might as well throw it in there because who doesn't? Gotta throw in your alcohol. <laughs> who doesn't need a glass of wine every now and then? I'm Nina. And I'm Liz. We don't have all the answers, but we do have a bottle of wine and some thoughts. If you're looking for honest musings on life, happiness, health, and wellness, you've come to the right place. We'll even throw in a couple off-the-wall jokes, some personal stories, and of course, some shenanigans. So grab a glass of wine and join the conversation. Hey guys, today we are talking with Alex Mazurko on the podcast, and she is a fitness coach as well as a business coach. She actually has a online course for um, new entrepreneurs to build their brand. Um, so we talk about a wide variety of topics in this conversation, mainly focusing on her past with competing, with fitness competing, and how she started at a place of not really focusing too much on the stuff that she was putting in her body and really living from a scarcity and restriction mindset and how that journey really led her to to doing this work in a healthy way where she focused on what her body needs and nourishing herself with wonderful foods. Um, And from there, she's been able to help coach women on how you can live a fit lifestyle, but still care about what you're putting in your body and not live from a place of restriction. Yeah. I love that the main topic of conversation was it doesn't have to be one diet. It doesn't have to be one, doesn't have to be intuitive eating. It doesn't have to be counting macros. It can be a blend of all of the things that you've learned and then using what works for you and using what works for your body. So without chatting anymore in your guys's ear, we're going to head right into this episode with Alex Mazurko. Hi, Wine and Shiners. We are here with a new episode with Alex Mazurko, who, um, like normal, Nina found through the interwebs, through Instagram. And when I found out that she lived in Cleveland, I first of all, loved everything you were about and your, you know, the message you're putting out there. And then of course, when I found out you're from Cleveland, I had to get you on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, So tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work. So what I saw from my end that you were into fitness and then like hardcore, like doing competitive shows. And then I, I saw that you like sort of had a transformation shift in mindset and everything that I loved was so body positive. So I'm curious how you got to this place of body positivity and also really valuing your health? So I kind of grew up as an athlete, but as a runner. So I was never in the gym. I was always running and through a series of stress fractures and injuries, kind of gave it up and went to college and gave up all fitness. So, you know, when you give up fitness and you start drinking, you start eating cafeteria food every day, you usually gain, you know, the standard fifth freshman 15, I gained probably closer to 20 pounds. And by my junior year, I was having panic attacks. I just, I wasn't in a a healthy routine or a healthy cycle. And I ended up having to go to the cardiologist and he was like, you need to do a stress test because your Mm. blood pressure is through the roof. And I was like, well, I can run. I was a runner and ran just fine. And he's like, 
I think you just need to make some changes in your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. A very uh, familiar story to both me and Liz. <laughs> so they, they didn't really like say, go do this. But my mom's always been into fitness. She's done jazzercise her whole life. So I went home for winter break. And I have this on my website. I ate one piece of toast instead of two. And I did a 45-minute hip-hop ab video, whatever DVD that my mom had. So that was the start. And then on my my personal Instagram, which I don't use anymore, I started doing day one, day two, day three. And I did hashtag the day for months and months and months. And within 50 days, I had lost 15 pounds. I was taking classes at the rack. I fell in love with spinning. I was doing the boot camp body stuff. I would even do some stuff on my own. But I was that girl who grabbed my set of weights, went into the corner, maybe did a little ab circuit, and then stuck to the cardio machines if I wasn't in a Mm. class. Because no one taught me how to lift. No one you know, said, this is how you squat. This is how you bench. This is how you deadlift. And not to mention there's boys, big boys over there that you might think are hot that you don't want to go over and look like an idiot in front of. Isn't that funny? I don't know how many women I've talked to that are afraid to go to the gym because they don't want to look unexperienced or to look like they're doing something wrong. And most of the time, someone would help you. Like you don't need right. to, you know, pay for that personal training session. You don't need to think it is the boys section of the gym. It, there's no boys section and girls section. There's no segregation in the gym. And I found the majority of the time that if you ask for help, if you need a spot, someone will gladly help you out. Mm-hmm. So I, I fell in love with fitness again. And I lost a significant amount of weight. I was starting to look sh- shredded, you know, and like a not like a normal in shape college person because I have a pretty addictive personality. So I was just living in the gym, but I was also bartending. Mm. So I was somehow managing to do all of this. And post college, I started getting into tough mutters and then ran a half marathon. And all of those feet issues that I had crept up again. And I decided to hang up my running shoes. And there was a man in the gym that was a bodybuilder. And I had seen it. I had a few friends do it. And he was the only person I knew. So he became my coach, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And he ended up being not the best coach. And you live and you learn. So I had it better than you know other people that have had bad coaches. But I kind of decided after my first string of shows, my first season... I did three shows that I wasn't going to do it again. And I kind of tarnished, I won't say ruined my relationship with food, but it definitely tarnished it because it puts you in a scarcity mindset when you have to go so low in calories. You can only have certain foods. There's not a lot of options. So months went by and I would see this hashtag IIFYM on Instagram. And I had had a little bit of following at this point. I'm seeing these girls eat ice cream and cereal and all sorts of things that were never in my 10 foods that I could have. So Your 10 foods. That makes me sad. I'm literally thinking about only 10 foods. Yeah. Spinach, almonds, sweet potatoes, your typical tuna, tuna, chicken, your typical Mm -hmm. bro diet, diet healthy foods. 
And I was seeing this hashtag and I'm like, these girls, this is a joke. These girls, this can't be real. And I found a coach who lived in Columbus. I was like, that's close. A few of my fellow Instagram friends were coached by him. I reached out. We had a two hour conversation. And he's like, I think you have great potential. I do macros and you can basically eat whatever you want. And I was like, that's a lie. Mm. So I started to learn about macros. And I remember I'm, I'm on this new team. I'm meeting people on the team. And they're like, yeah, so what are you eating? And I'm like, I can eat an apple and a protein bar. And they're like, that's not really macros. And I'm like, yes, huh? I can eat a protein. Like it was like candy for me. I was on a fruit for like the first time I could eat it. Which is that's crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Like I can't even have fruit. It's so it's so many people have this mindset when they get on the diet train. Like I can't have this, this, and this, and this. And even if it is healthy, it's like we're scared. We're scared of certain food because we don't want it to ruin our perfect body or whatever the case may be, or ruin our goals towards our quote unquote perfect body. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I started learning what macros are. Were I had a few friends that were sharing recipes. And one of my best friends created a cake company out of a protein mix and it's cake. Like it is a cake that you microwave made out of protein and kind of redefining what you can have on a diet. So as I started competing, everything that my coach Adam had said kind of became true. I was starting to get really good. I looked better than I ever had. I didn't feel deprived. And because I thought it was so easy compared to the way I had dieted before, I just kept going. Well, diets are supposed to end. You're supposed to turn it off. And I didn't because there was always another show. So I ended up doing seven shows my second season and five shows my third season. Even though during that third season, I I started developing gut health issues and I just kept pushing. And when you're in such a severe caloric deficit for so long, you start to lose bodily functions, Mm -hmm. your digestion, your period, your hair, nails, and skin don't grow and regenerate. And I turned all that off, not to weigh a certain amount, but just because the diet wasn't that hard to me this way. And Mm -hmm. I'm a competitive person, have an addictive personality. And so at the end of my season, even though I went through a reverse diet, I quickly put on weight because my body was in panic mode. My gut was destroyed. And I put on more weight than I ever had in my life. And I didn't really know how to deal with that while trying to figure out how to heal my body because I had wrecked it. So that's how we got here. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this is a topic of conversation that I'm so passionate about because like you said, diets sometimes... um, when you're trying to clear things up, you have to, I don't want to say restrict, but you kind of pick and choose the foods you eat in order to heal your body. Uh So there's a way to do that in a positive way. But when you are restricting for so long, your body doesn't know how to handle that. and, And you know, what's funny is the things you were eating were probably healthy. The way that you were moving would seem to be healthy, but our body perceives stress in so many different ways, you know, the, what we eat and the way we move, even though it could be positive can still be a stressor on the body. And when did those signs start popping up for you? Like the hormonal signs and the gut health signs? 
So it's funny that you said the body knows what stress and the way you move and the way you eat can cause the body stress, even if it is quote unquote healthy. So I started having issues around March, some warning signs probably popped up and I didn't really start having issues until May, but kept dieting until Mm -hmm. September. So even though what I was doing was healthy to a certain extent, I also started my own business during this time. Huge stressor. Yeah. yeah. Even positive stress. Yeah. Positive stress. All of of the stresses. I wasn't sleeping. I was working out for two to three hours a day. And I didn't have enough calories, whether it be good calories or bad calories, to replenish and regenerate and have the energy that I needed to A, function mentally, but be function physically. So it's like, sorry, go ahead, Liz. I was going to say, you know what I think is really interesting is I feel like we've been talking a lot about black and white thinking in a lot of our recent episodes. And it it's interesting how, you know, you think all of these shifts that you're making, all of these stressors were in your mind, like a good thing. Like a doctor tells you, you need to make lifestyle changes. And you went and followed that exact advice and did exactly what you thought was a good thing. And I think it's important that we remember, you know, a lot of times these restrict the restrictions that we place on ourselves come from a place of good intent where we think like it's true. This is gonna make me healthy and this is gonna make me happy. And I'm just doing what society like tells me I should do. It tells me I should exercise and not eat carbs and you know label things as good and bad. But one of the things I thought was really interesting in like reading what you have on your website was the the blame that we put on certain foods. So, you know, you talked about like we have these inanimate objects and we're like shifting all of our body image woes onto them. So tell me a little more about like that mindset and how you kind of got out of placing blame on certain kinds of foods. So the first thing I will say when any client comes to me is that there are no good foods and there are no bad foods. I love that. Yes. And so often we think, we think I can't have that cookie, but I can have a banana and an apple with peanut butter. And guess what? Those are the same macros. Now, are you going to get some more nutrients, micronutrients from the banana, the apple, and the peanut butter than the cookie? But they're the same amount of calories. And getting people to realize that it's calories in versus calories out to a certain extent. So shifting your mindset from a scarcity mindset to a balanced mindset. And extremes are easier than balance. I could preach that till the cows come home too. It's hard to have balance and say, okay, well, I, I can let myself have one cookie. I just can't let myself sit here and eat the whole bucket. Mm-hmm. And if you balance diet throughout the day, that one cookie is going to satisfy you at the end of the day. But instead, we don't eat lunch, we skip dinner, and then we binge on the bucket of cookies at night instead of having our breakfast, our lunch, or dinner, and that cookie for a snack before we go to bed. And I have plenty of people, including myself, that for a while, my treat meal always had to be my last meal right before bed at 10 p.m. So I didn't go think I could get more food. And it's how you structure your day. And that does take some planning. But if we can shift from the scarcity to the balance and recognize that it's just food, 
and taking away that power that the cookie has over us. You know, you could have the cookie or you can have the apple, banana, and peanut butter. It, it doesn't matter. And it's hard for people to grasp that because they walk through the grocery store and it says 1200 calorie diet, salads only, no carbs, because we're believing what society has said all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you Once you wake up to it, there's a whole world of, of health that you can experience. I think like Liz was saying, you don't really know. You don't really know because you, you see on commercials or you see on the billboards. Um, I mean, you go out to eat and you think if you order a salad that you're being healthy, but it doesn't like what's on that salad. Like it's more about the nutrient density of, of what you're choosing to eat and what works for your body. So what works for you may not work for somebody else. And, but I have a question because you keep talking about macros and I have a very intuitive eating approach. And that's what I work on with my clients. So I'm always interested in, I understand what counting your macros is. I but don't. I, so maybe I, if we could back to, I mean, <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> I do. And I don't. So it's like, I understand the concept and it's not exactly what I coach with, but I'm curious if you could explain it a little bit more because I've never been taught what it even means. Really? So I'll have to yeah. send you a macro guide after this, but so your macros are your macronutrients, your carb stats and proteins and getting people to realize that the correct balance of each of those, which can be done in intuitively eating, in intuitive eating, you know, realizing what your body's craving. So protein is going to help build and repair that muscle. Carbs are for readily available energy and fat is used for energy storage. Now the problem is everybody wants to go and cut their carbs. So you have no readily available energy for your body. So it's going to hold on to as much fat storage as possible to preserve when it it thinks you're going to need energy in the future. So if we can kind of put the body on autopilot and say, you're going to get these carbs, fats, and proteins around the same numbers every day, it starts to run really efficiently and you know, that automation, which can help with weight loss. Now, I have done intuitive eating. I've done the bro diet. I feel like I've done all of them. So during this journey, I really had to stop tracking macros because I wasn't looking at the nutrients in food as much as I was looking at the caloric and the Mm -hmm. macro count. And so there is a balance, which my eyes have been open to in the last eight months. So I actually went through, you know, a a lot of gut health healing protocols and intuitive eating was the first step, then doing a candida diet and a SIBO protocol, which those are more restrictive than your macro numbers. I was cutting out total food groups. Right. Yeah. you know, it was nice to be able to come out of that. And yes, there was a little bit of that scarcity mindset, but having that knowledge of macros to now get me to a point of weight loss and structure has been great without having that scarcity mindset like I did before when I had to cut out food groups because I think I had enough balance of actual nutrients to where my hormones were re-regulating and staying on track. So when it comes to counting your, can you count 
your, or can you focus on macros without actually counting them? That's always a question that I have because I, because I so much like the idea of, of listening and feeding your body what it needs and not having to go. Cause you know how people spiral down the whole, my fitness pal app situation and like Mm -hmm. counting and exactly (laughs) like you're putting your hand, the listeners can't see, but her hands like went to her face. Like, ah, it's so whenever I hear counting, 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 I'm like, hell no, get me away from the counting. That's not what we're doing. But at the same time, I love to focus on like with my clients, you need healthy fats in your diet. Don't stray away from carbs because you need those for your energy. And also when people restrict carbs, like you said, their body holds on to more fat and they feel shitty. Like they feel terrible. So how do you focus on the macros without, without counting? Yeah. Is and like that obsessing. possible? Exactly. Yeah, it is. And I do think that you have to track for a decent amount of time to know, to know what for, not even what a macro is, but what your portion sizes are. So mm-hmm. besides the automation and giving the body what it wants and what it needs, especially if you're trying to lose weight and build muscle, you know, in, in more in my area, I know the average person is not trying to put on a pound of muscle a month. You learn portion control first. And so you know what four ounces of chicken looks like. You know that that Ben and Jerry's might have 600 calories, but what are what is making up those calories? So you learn what is actually in the food. And I think it's a big eye-opener for people to actually read a nutrition label, mm-hmm. which that's what I would just love everyone to know how to do. I was just with my family this past weekend. My 23-year-old cousin doesn't know how to read a nutrition label. And he's asking me what's healthy and what's not. And it's sad that no one's taught that in, in their education and so we have these people blindly following the magazines and the commercials and the bright shiny stickers in the grocery store. So I think if you can learn portion control and learn what's in a nutrition label for the four months, six months, and then transition to an intuitive eating approach because you know what you're eating, mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful. I actually, after my gut health protocol, went back to intuitive eating and then transition into macros. And I had calorie ranges. So normally I'm not a fan of counting calories, counting macros. You can by default count calories because mm-hmm. a protein and a carb are both four calories per gram and a fat is nine calories per gram and an alcohol is seven calories per gram. Good to know. <laughs> That's not an official macronutrient, but you might as well throw it in there because who doesn't... Gotta throw in your alcohol. <laughs> who doesn't eat a glass of wine every now and then? I mean, we're recording this over a holiday week. It's July 3rd. I'm yes. going out and having a drink after this podcast recording, so... We all should. Um, I know. So I think just knowing a calorie range... If counting doesn't trigger something for you, I know it can, you know, that gets into a whole nother topic, but numbers and obsessing calories and the MyFitnessPal spiral, it it can be a negative thing, but I kind of preach it as a learning tool. And the other extremely eye-opening thing is every person I have as a client, why don't my calories match up with my macros? Because the FDA allows for a 20% error in food labeling. So if you're eating mostly packaged food, your calories will not match your macros because there's this 
allowed 20% error in food labeling. So if you look on the back of something that says zero calories, but it has two carbs in it, it really has eight calories, not zero carbs, but they're allowed they're allowed to say that. And wow. it only adds to the confusion and what's healthy, what's not, zero calorie, low fat, carb-free, mm. sugar-free. But what additives are you putting in? And like I said, my gut health journey was an eye-opener into what are the actual ingredients. If I'm going to mm-hmm. choose something that's prepackaged, what's in it and what's the ingredient list over what's the macros. Yeah. And so that was something I'm a little bit curious to touch on as well. So now do you have a whole nother mindset after going through your gut health experience? Because as a coach who focuses on gut health, I'm always preaching, look at the ingredients because there's so many things in there that are a disturbance. So have you blended all of these worlds now? Are you like looking at macros and then also like tying in what is in the ingredient or what is in the food that you're eating and how that's affecting your body? Yes. Um, I've taken everything that I've gone through. I always say strength in the struggle. Um, This experience has made me a better coach because it has opened my Mm. eyes. And I wasn't even a a bad eater beforehand. I I wasn't the IIFYM girl who was eating three low buff protein cakes a day. And Wait, ice time out. Dinner. What did that actually stand for? I don't think I ever Liz found out. Liz isn't on the Instagram I'm as not. much as everyone else. I'm asking, no, wait, I'm asking for our listeners who may not know. <laughs> asking for a friend. But it stands for if it fits your macros. So oh, you okay. can have this food if it fits your macros. So people, you, the big thing was like Pop-Tarts and ice cream when macros kind of blew up. So... I really like donuts. So I know the macros, like the average macro of a donut is going to be two protein, 50 carb, and 10 fat. Like I would just estimate that. But if I ate three donuts a day and four protein shakes, that's, I'm going to hit my macros, but am I going to feel like you're going to feel terrible? Yeah. (laughs) So, and, and, and there, there were and there are people that can eat like that. They claim they have stomachs of steel and that they have no issues. And They might have stomachs of steel for the meantime, but what their body's going to do later down the road, they're going like, to regret. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, going through the Candida protocol, you know, you can't have any sugars. You can't have yeah. a lot of fruit. You're eating a very low carb, almost keto in a sense. So I was paying attention to ingredients and mac, and not necessarily macros, but the sugars and really, really looking at the carbs and sugars in my foods and not eating out, not eating packaged food, making all of my own food. And the sad thing is I was almost developing a fear of food. So totally. when, I, yeah. when I transitioned from keto to more SIBO, and low FODMAP, I was panicking. Well, this one says I can have broccoli and this guy says, and what if I eat something bad? And it started to get really negative. And you know, the people in my life were preaching, why don't you just start to add back in calories? Let's heal by just as much as possible. And, and I was going to gain weight regardless, mm-hmm. but my body needed to be convinced that I wasn't going to starve it again. And that I was going to have enough food to 
heal the lining of my gut, to heal my adrenals, to get my period back. All of those things, which no one thinks about when they start to go on a diet, whether it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. I have a question diving into the gut health a little bit, if you wouldn't mind talking about your experience with that. So did you decide to go and get testing done because you felt so terrible or was a doctor like, let's get testing done? Because in my course, I'm taking, it's an advanced gut health course. I haven't gotten to SIBO and Candida, although I know a lot about it. And I'm always curious about how people find out that they have these. And it's unfortunate because I'm so against the diet train, but when it comes to healing your body, for example, when you have a gut condition like that, how hard it is because sometimes you have to do things to clear up the area. So first of all, how did you find out you had it? And then did you go on a research train, how to fix it yourself? Or did you work closely with the doctor? How did that work? So I knew something was wrong in May and I I turned 26 in October. So great timing. Yeah, um, I refused to go to the doctor because I knew that they would say, stop competing. But the other reason that has, is just as valid, whether people want to believe it or not, is that you are looked at as an extremely healthy, lean athlete that nothing could potentially be wrong. And that, yeah, you just need to rest or you just... And I knew that something was seriously wrong, which I should have stopped competing. We didn't. So <laughs> I, I was constantly being told, oh, you're fine. Or, oh, you're just eating less food. So you're not pooping because you have- Yeah, because on the outside, you everything looks fantastic. And so it, there's a huge difference from looking bloated when you put on some weight than looking bloated with a six pack. And people are like, oh yeah, you're so bloated and mm. you're in so much pain. So that was a huge deterrent from going to the doctor. And I'm from Toledo. And so I had never really found, besides the girl doctor in Cleveland, I really had never been to the doctor in Cleveland. And here I am starting my own business. I don't have time to drive home to Toledo and go into a specialist and blah, 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 blah. So I waited till the last minute, a month before I turned 26, and luckily got in with a really good GI doctor who was like, okay, we really don't have a lot of time. Um, but I ended up getting a HIDA scan, liver ultrasound. He was under the impression that it was ulcers, but I had had ulcers in high school. And I was like, yo, dude, I don't have ulcers. I know what that feels like. This is not it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. even though he did do the majority of testing that he could, should, would, everything came back, including my blood tests, pretty much fine. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not, not fine. Um, oh my gosh, then, story of my life. You're like, I am not fine. I know I am not fine. This is not what fine feels like. Stop the tests. Why are they all positive or negative? Yeah. And the one test we didn't have time for was the scope. And mm. that would have probably given me my answer. But this is a lot more common in the fitness industry than you would think. And some of the bikini pros had started popping up with very similar issues. And I'm a friends with a few of them and I'm not friends with some, but I started listening to their journeys and, and Googling and really doing my research. And a company that is in Cleveland, they do stool testing and they, I kind of just found them. And thank God so they were... So you did it on your own. Yes, That's I am an advocate. 
keep in mind, I am a coach and I'm, you know, I've been in tune with my body for years. You have to be pretty in tune with your body to compete. And I'm one of those people that's just, I'm going to find the answer. So I did a stool testing and unfortunately it came, it took months to come back. Um, and it wasn't supposed to, it was supposed to come back within eight weeks. It took like nearly 15, um, because they just didn't have the demand and they could only test so many tests at once. And I just bad luck of the draw for me. So that was November and I had heard of Candida and I was like, okay, well this diet sucks. You can't have (laughs) So I was like, I'll try it for one week. And I did. And I dropped two pounds of probably pure inflammation because I didn't work out the whole week. I stuck to the diet and I was dropping weight. But it's November. Thanksgiving's the next week. I'm going to Chicago the next week. And then it's Christmas. Then it's... So I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing this diet. This is awful. <laughs> so I, the week after Christmas and the week before New Year's, I ended up having a conversation with someone. And she's like, why are you waiting for this test to come back? You know what could help you, whether you have candida or not. This is probably what you have. This diet will not hurt you. It's going to suck. You're going to have to cut a lot of things out, but it's but not going to Temporary. It's temporary. To target an actual imbalance in the body or yeah. overgrowth, overgrowth in the body of bacteria. So it's like, it's temporary to get you to a place where you need to be for healing. So I- But still it, sucks. It sucks. <laughs> there, there were two days where I remember just, holding the fridge opening and like looking, just staring in the fridge. Like, what can I eat? Like I was using a lot of cinnamon and a lot of nut butters, you know, for that sweet tooth fix because you Mm -hmm. can't have any sweets. So I was, you know, doing baking a lot, couldn't eat out at all. So, So, you know, my poor boyfriend who couldn't, couldn't go out to eat the whole time I was prepping. And now I'm sick, still can't go out to eat. And it it definitely takes a toll on your life and your emotions, but I was still working out really hard. And I didn't realize until mid-February that I probably had to cut that out because Mm -hmm. I was only putting more stress on my body. So I did six weeks, hard candida. And then I started going to a naturopath and I had a dietitian who once we got the biome results back. It said potentially SIBO. And then I went through a little bit of a SIBO protocol and then it was kind of all mutually decided that I just had severe dysbiosis once the results came back. And just for anyone that might not know... Or Liz. Yeah, that (laughs) might not know what all of it means. I mean, and you can go if you want to explain. You might know even more than I do, but candida is an overgrowth of yeast in your body, in your stomach, or your Mm -hmm. intestine. is an overgrowth of bacteria in your Mm -hmm. small intestines, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And dysbiosis is basically an imbalance of bacteria in your gut. So if you have candida or you have dysbiosis, but just because you have dysbiosis doesn't necessarily mean you have SIBO or candida. And SIBO is one of the hardest things to test for. You pretty much need a scope or a very expensive, hard to take breath test that could potentially be inaccurate as well. So you might as well treat it with, you know, 
I think the way that I went about treating it was the best case scenario for what I, I could have had, could have done. And so with this severe dysbiosis, you know, I not only did it cause me to have gut issues, it caused me to gain 35 pounds. It caused me to have adrenal fatigue. Somehow it did not affect my hormones and my thyroid really at all. I consider myself very, very lucky um, to have the adrenal fatigue I did, but my thyroids come, my thyroid numbers come back great. I got, I was able to get my period back with by no mm, regularly by January after I had stopped competing in September, but I was getting irregular periods in November and December. And mm-hmm. so many other women do not have it as easy as I did. Mm-hmm. I was, it's funny because I, I always say that the gut is really the, the central like the health force brain. of your body. It is. It absolutely is the second brain. It has its own brain. It doesn't even need its, your brain to function at all. It, it can do its thing on its own. And it's funny because a lot of times we see these symptoms, like I have a hormonal symptom or I have adrenal fatigue or whatever the case may be. And it all stems from the gut. So it's when your gut's unhealthy, it, it spins off into all of these other problems. And so did you find that when you finally healed your gut or are you still in the process of healing? I would say I'm probably 95% healed. I actually just fixed. Yeah. Sorry, I was saying then it fixed the other issues. Yeah. So my adrenals, I'm sleeping better. And now it sounds easy. Like, oh, you're fixed. I, you know, the amount of money. Oh yeah. Yeah. Acupuncture. You know, I, I've tried it all. I'm cupping. I've done it all. Fixed, my gut is fixed, but it's helped my, my adrenals then took another month to fix. And then I still can't lose weight. And so you, it's like you fix one thing, but you, it still takes time to fix everything else. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I just didn't compete or I didn't diet for six months. Well, how long did you diet for? How long did you eat crap for? Mm -hmm. It's probably going to take just as long or double that time to actually heal. You, when you think about the stress you put your body through for so long, it's not possible to heal your body with a quick fix, which is what all of us want. We all want like to take the pill and to feel better. And I think it's also frustrating because when you said you named off things, acupuncture, cupping, I mean, that's the same thing I've done, like Reiki. And then I'm going to eat well, and I'm going to try this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to sleep more and I'm going to watch my blue light. And there's all these things you're doing. And then you get frustrated because on the outside, again, you look so healthy. You're doing all of these things, but you have to remember it takes a while for your body to get to a place of you know, stress and in an unbalanced place, it's going to take it a long time to get back. And I feel like, just like I said, I had to eat so much more for my body to feel safe. I feel like it's this trust issue. So your body's not going to trust you again to not take things away or whatever until you've proven that you're going to eat healthy for X amount of time. You're going to eat enough caloric surplus. That your body is in the scarcity in a stressor state that whole time. And, and even as you start to increase calories or start to get healthy, because we all know it's not a, a switch that's just flipped. It, it's a process. There were definitely days where I messed up or I, I remember 
I was probably six or eight weeks into my journey and I had a flare up and I had felt Mm. so good for so long. And I was so upset. Like, what did I accidentally eat? I don't know. And I ended up having to do a bone broth fast. And I did one for almost 72 hours and it ended up being a great experience. But that was another tool that I could add to my belt of, you know, the countless medications and things that I had done to heal my gut, but there's going to be slip ups. Mm -hmm. You're only human. You can't expect to be perfect all of the time. We say this a lot. Like you have to give yourself grace. I feel Mm -hmm. like we say that in almost every episode. Yeah, it's fine though. It applies to everything. It it really does. It here too. (laughs) Yeah. And I think when it comes to holistic healthcare or fitness or anything, you have to realize that if you're, we talked about this in our last episode, you have to think about the thought process behind it. Are you doing all these things from a place of love? Are you doing all of these things from a place of like trying to punish yourself and to be better? And when you slip up or when things happen, it's, it's okay. Like you're just human. It'll be fine. And you'll re- recalibrate and be okay again. That's something I had to think about as I dove into my healing process. Am I doing this so I can just jump into another diet? So I can yeah. jump into another show. And people ask all the time, are you going to compete again? And and I would like to, I would, I would like for the last time I was on stage, I would like to not look like that because I pushed my body too far and it pushed back. And I did not look like I should have been up there. I did not look like the work and the countless hours that I had put in. And and I'm passionate. I'm an athlete. I truly believe that the sport can be healthy and sustainable to an extent for being what it is. And I had to take a step back and say, if I can never step on the stage again, it's okay. I just need to be healthy. If, if I can't be 120, if I can't be 125, if I can just get to a healthy weight where my clothes will fit, I will be happy. And I think it takes a lot for a person to get to that point where they're able to give up what they were set on for so long mm-hmm. because they're going through something that's so bad. And I know people that have been there and I know people that haven't gotten to that point. And I preach to them, just, just take a step back from it, come back to it at a later date or don't come back to it at all. Your life will go on. And you see these girls, especially in the competing world that, well, I have to get my pro card. I have to do another show. I, I just have to keep going because just because social media, no, I won't have followers. And I think that's been amazing for me to show people, you know, my last post case in point, stripping down naked at my heaviest and my leanest. I loved that post. Thank you. That You're welcome. People are going to love you for the content you put out and the words that you write and the message that you preach. They're not going to love you because you're stage lean, which is unattainable for 95% of the human population. 99% of the human population. Because it's not just, hey, I'm getting abs. It's I'm getting to an unhealthily low body fat percentage to compete in a sport. There's people that go to the Olympics. There are people that compete on the pro stage at Mr. Olympia. There's no difference, but guess what? Not everybody's trying to walk around and be an Olympic skier because social media makes it popular. Mm -hmm. And it's just glamorized on social media. And that's the sad part is that Mm -hmm. you have 
these young girls, they're like, oh, they look so good and they're in a sparkly bikini. I'm just going to hop into it too. And they end up with a bad coach. They end up with a bad mindset and bad body issues mentally and physically afterwards. And there's no one to pull them out of that and prepare them for, you know, the body image issues, the gut issues, the metabolism issues, and they're just left alone. And that's what's so sad about it. I think too, if you look at just from the standpoint of like, I won't have followers or people will leave me. I feel like those people and that whole mindset is so fleeting. Like if that's what you're basing your life and how you're competing or doing whatever you're doing on, like those people, if you're worried about them leaving you because you don't look, you know, top notch, the best you've ever looked, like they're going to leave you at some point if they're that like fleeting. You know what I mean? Like it's not real. If that's all you stand for is, you know, a six pack and that's all that makes you feel worthy, I would. Mm-hmm. I would hope that you would learn to dig a little bit deeper and to find some friends that that don't value your six pack over what's on the inside. That's just not sustainable. And that's what I, that's what I mean when it's, you have to think of your thought process behind it. And I also think that there are a lot of people like even in the intuitive eating world, and I don't know if I'm pushing any buttons by saying this, but I think that there's a lot of people that'll say, that's not right. Like you can't, like doing competitive, I don't even know what it's called exactly, but doing a competitive sport like that, like that's just so unhealthy. But then, and then here it's like, you're talking, it's like, you can do, like, this is a sport and you can do it from a positive mindset and do it by loving and caring for your body. And I love it. But then you, it's the mindset behind it. Like the way that you think about your health and your body and the way you were just talking about preaching to other women. It's so important that you can have goals, but still be body positive and still care about what you're putting into your body. Mm-hmm. I, it's just funny when you mentioned that I'm body positive at the beginning of this conversation, I'm like, am I? And I'm just positive and I preach self-love and preach this mindset shift and no matter where you're at, to strive to be better, but find that happy where you're yeah. at. I've mentioned before that I'm happy somewhere in the middle, but guess what? I'm not there yet. So why waste Are we my ever time? always there? Like, are we ever yeah, really right. there? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just, I'm just not going to be happy until I get to this magical number or this pant size or this amount of followers or this many likes. It's so unrealistic. And then you're setting yourself up for failure. And I just have this huge problem that everybody has to pick a side. Everybody has to be either body positive or pro fitspo or thinspo or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Or That's really getting under my skin too. It's like, you have to be this, you have to be that, or you have to be on the diet. It's the black and white thinking, Liz. We should just call this podcast black and white thinking. Well, people like to compartmentalize and like be able to, I can put you in like the body positivity box and say like, oh, that's how I, that's how my brain recognizes her. Like stupid human nature. And even, (laughs) and the worst of it is like, think of, I intuitively eat and you count macros or I'm a vegan and you're paleo exactly. or, or I'm healthy because I'm vegan and you're not because you're not. Yeah. Well, no, the vegan whole food oatmeal chip cookies at Whole Foods 
Let me tell you, they're amazing, but they'll run you a cool 100 fat, 300 protein, and about three carb or 200 carbs, three protein. Like you can have unhealthy vegan food and you can have unhealthy paleo food. Yeah. And you can have unhealthy McDonald's. But guess what? You don't have to pick a side. And that's where I get really, really frustrated with people who want to back people into a corner and say, you have to be this, or I don't like you, or you have to do this, or you're not healthy. When I'm going to be the first one to say, I've done a lot of diets. I've done a, a lot of ways of dieting, a lot of ways of thinking, and a mix of it all. And maybe it's just the best for me, but I think it's the best for a lot of people is if we take a little bit of meatless Mondays and if we try to eat real food more than processed food. And if we just look at nutritional labels, but still pay attention to what our bodies want and what our bodies are craving, but we know what's in the food that we're eating. I think that taking a balanced approach is the hardest, but the the best way we're going to get somewhere. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're trusting your, Yeah, exactly. Because you're trusting yourself and all of the knowledge you've learned rather than a list or a rule book. And, and that's really what... Learn. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people to, that don't want to learn. They just want to pick something and jump on the bandwagon on the bandwagon and, and then they don't have to educate themselves or, or work to learn what their options are. I think you find what works for you too then. So once you start doing that and you have this more balanced approach to life, if there's one certain label, I don't want to, but something that you live with a lifestyle that you find works best for you, then stick to it and do it. As long as you're in a right mental space and you're treating your body with love, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. I want to kind of switch gears a little bit because I know... So we were talking at the beginning of the podcast about like you're a graphic designer and you have this awesome brand. And I wondered if you could share with our audience a little bit about what you've learned, like how your journey has influenced how you've built your brand and like how that's showcased to the people that you interact with. Yeah. So I... Like I said, I always preach strength in the struggle. I went to school to be a graphic designer and then found this love of fitness and nutrition and gave it up. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a coach. But I had all of these people in my life asking, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? And so I've always been the person to add stress to my life instead of take it away. Mm -hmm. So whether that be at a show, at a job... You know, up until May, it's the first time in my life I haven't worked two jobs. So going through this and building my brand, I cut out a lot of... I started cutting out the stress in my life. So I stopped bartending. I started my, my coaching business. And I did what I had to do to make ends meet. And up until May, which, which is when I got rid of some of the contract work I was doing because it no longer served me. It wasn't adding value to my life. It wasn't making me happy. It was causing me anxiety. And everything that I had been through in the last eight months 
I really had to learn to take a step back and learn that it'll be okay if you don't get a post-up. It'll be okay if you have to nap during the day. It will be okay if you don't respond to emails on Saturday. And so I built this brand, you know, not that I've ever not been all in, but the way that I work and the way that I've now built the course, Build Your Brand, where I help other coaches build their brand is I hope to instill this bit of balance in them and being realistic about the things that you can accomplish and when you should go all in, when you should quit your job, when you should still keep your old job and really create this safe and sustainable brand instead of uh, the other trend on social media. I'm going to quit my job and be an entrepreneur um, without having any of that safety and sustainability but also knowing when to turn it off. And I I wasn't good at that in the beginning, I will admit. And I had people in my life that said, oh, you'll get better at it. And and my family, why are you always on your phone? Why why can't you ever shut off? People in my life feeling neglected. It did take Mm -hmm. a long time for me to get there. But my gut health journey really forced me to take a step back and I Mm -hmm. your body tells you your body will tell you when it's time like mentally you can push and push and push but when your body's like "Uh uh-uh like you can't listen or you can't not listen anymore yeah I plug my phone in I try to put it away and plug it in at 8 p.m every night um I need to work on that oh my gosh and shout out to Jenna Kutcher I don't charge my oh yeah the bedroom because she and so thankfully Paul my boyfriend does. And so he gets up and then wakes me up and brings me my phone before he leaves. How nice of him. So So I, he gets up a little bit earlier, but I, I used to get up at 5am, sit at my desk and work. And then it would be one o'clock and I'd be like, I didn't even eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. I I like unintentionally started intermittent fasting. That's that's how I started intermittent fasting. (laughs) And you will start intermittent fasting. So I'm lucky enough that I I do own my own business and I was able to take the time to heal probably quicker than most people because I could take a nap in the middle of the day. I could sleep in and not use an alarm clock if I needed to. And I'm so grateful for that because it helped a lot. Now, are there still days where I feel guilty that I'm not getting up at 5am and doing a double spin class and then working and running all over the place. Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough, but I make enough to pay my bills. I make enough to get really nice messages from my clients that I've impacted their lives. Hmm. And I try to put myself out there as much as my bandwidth will allow. And that's all you can ask for as a business owner. You you can't give 110% of you because there's not 110 do you follow my, Gary Vaynerchuk at all? I don't. I follow him, but not religiously. So my husband, as everyone knows, like owns his own business. And he was in like a big Gary Vaynerchuk and Liz knows like uh, world for a while. And it's all like hustle, 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 push, push, push. Yeah, I actually and, hate Gary V. That's fine. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so on the flip side, I was like, dude, that is, 
I, I hate, I hate that. And so now that I'm in this world as well, we're kind of navigating it together. So we were both talking about like, we're going to try and go to bed earlier and we're not going to look at our phones when we wake up. And, um, I just talked to a coach today and we were talking, she was kind of coaching me through this new lifestyle. Like, what do we do? Because I'm starting to feel the same. Like if I sleep in and am I not doing enough? And I've always been used to working full time and then doing this on the side and podcasting and working out and doing all of these things. And it's, at that point, I think it's like a perfectionist tendency. Like yeah. I have to do all of the things and I have, me and Liz talk about this all the time and I have to check off my list, but it's hard to find that balance. I think you just have to trust yourself. I think you have to be comfortable in yourself. Be like, I'm okay. Like what I'm doing is okay. What, whose standards am I trying to meet anyway? And your it's, body will thank you. I always remember. So I always think like, okay, so if I was at a nine to five, I would get my hour of lunch. I would probably spend an hour on emails at some point during the day. I'd probably not pay attention for the last 30 minutes of the day. <laughs> yeah. Be real. I yeah. would probably be on Pinterest for another 30 minutes at some point in the day. So let's say I was at my eight-hour job and I was working for four to five hours of, you know, of that time. And exactly. I'm not saying, you know, everybody slacks or whatever at their job, but we have this misconception of everybody going into the office is working so hard for eight hours. And if I don't get eight hours in, well, guess what? I might get four hours in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, and another three hours in at night. And that might work for me. And that that was really hard because I'm a super productive in the morning and I'm, I'm a creative. So I'm, my brain is buzzing at night. So you sound like me. (laughs) I'm not that productive from the hours of one to six. And I use that time to eat lunch. I use that time to go to the gym. I use that time to run errands if I have to and get some social media work done. And that's easy for me. And it was definitely hard for me to come from a family who has never had an untraditional job. And I was already the artist of the family. So strike number, strike number one. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, so are you posting or are you working? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I feel bad because I did this to Cody for a really long time. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's the same thing. I was just at a family reunion this weekend and you're like, are you online shopping? Or are you working? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm working. I have the luxury of coming here in the middle of a Friday. Mm-hmm. Great. But I do have to do two to three hours of work while I sit here. Yeah. And mm-hmm. You can think I'm unengaged. You can think whatever you want. There's no set vacation days. And I think it's funny. My best friend said, you know, you need to give yourself PTO. And that's great in theory. But if something comes up, it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But if something doesn't come up, I can take the day off. And there's no set amount of PTO time. And I never even want to put that restriction on myself because that's why I don't work a nine to five. And if the work's there, it will get done because it's only on my shoulders to get mm-hmm. it done. Yeah. It's a total mindset shift. It's hard because you do see the nine to five, the typical nine to five. And I was in one too, as a teacher, but I love that you said like you can work a little bit and you have the luxury and the freedom to do other things, which is a positive. And some people are like, don't you miss the fact that you're not going to have complete summers off and these winter breaks? And I was like, I know, because I actually enjoy 
everything that I'm doing and like the more work that comes in, it's all things that I value. I've like created this life of creative things that I like to do. But then again, you have the ability to step out and go travel somewhere or to go set a meeting and like work around your schedule. So it's like in some cases you're almost working more because you don't have a set time frame. You are. I couldn't sleep last night. This is a perfect example. I couldn't sleep last night because I was thinking, I was like work sleeping. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I couldn't sleep last night either. I was actually singing Broadway musicals in my head the whole night. Liz, do you guys, okay. Do you guys ever have this situation where you're laying in bed and you think you're doing something like you are working? You lived pro- with me. You remember like, <laughs> you know what it used to do, what it used to be for me when I would work really late. So I'd work at Panera. Oh, yeah. Panera. And you then like give orders. I would be in bed. I remember one time I woke up and we had those drawers, like the beds that had drawers underneath. But like <laughs> at Panera, like all the extra food was like underneath. Like you'd like have the food where you'd make it. And then like underneath there's like backup lettuce, backup tomato. And I was like pulling out drawers, like looking for the extra lettuce. Yeah. So it always happens a- to me if I, but that always happened if I worked until, if I closed, I worked till like 11 PM. And then I'd come home and go to bed and just like keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, yesterday I was doing the same thing. I was like, I was working on a bunch of like content and then I'm doing, I'm auditioning for some musicals. So I like was performing in my head the whole night and I couldn't sleep because my butt, my brain was so buzz, you know, creatively buzzing the entire time. It's the, the skinny confidential talks about it all the time where you just, you're working when you fall asleep and in your sleep and, and you're like brainstorming content. And I always do it. And I, and I'm a, I'm a big advocate for the to-do list, but I also, it will be the death of me. Yeah. (laughs) I've got to write it down or it doesn't get done, but it just adds up. And I really do try to do, you know, what are my three top things for the day? And then, you know, the list of 20 things under it that hopefully they get done at some point. I've also, I also have really tried to batch my work. If I do have a lot of errands for the week, I try to do them like all on one day. If I have a lot of appointments, especially while I was going through the gut health, you know, going to a naturopath for two hours and then I have to grocery shop. And so instead of doing that all on a separate day, I would use that as like my weekday off. They always mm. work on Sundays. And then I really do my best to not respond to emails on Saturdays at all. Yeah. That's good. So you're still like setting parameters for yourself. Yeah. Like like Saturday, Sunday, I don't work or whatever. You have like small dices of time. Yeah. And I, I think the Gary Vanderchuk hustle 365 days a week. Okay, as soon as you get adrenal fatigue, Gary V, let me know. I know. Like, right. yeah. like Maybe he's just a man. And then he'll be gonna... out for like 365 days yeah, in a row. Exactly. Or have a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. or something. Who knows? Gary Vanderchuk, you might no. look strong. Some people's bodies must just be... Mine is too sensitive for that. I will let everybody know that. Not not my style. No, and and I used to be one of those people that I'm like, oh, I can go five hours sleep a night. Well, I I did, and look what happened. And then you don't right. anymore, yeah. So you have these two sides. You have this side of helping business owners brand and find their. By the way, we should talk. Um, <laughs> and then we have the coaching. Now, can you just talk a teeny bit on like, what's your coach? What's your typical coaching client in case our listeners are like, I would love to work with her. So I have, 
it's funny because a lot of people think I'm a prep coach, which I'm not. I do have a select few clients, but they're like near and dear to my heart and I've Mm -hmm. known them. So it's, it's not like I just take prep clients or really want to work with prep clients. So my average client is, you know, a 20 something year old female who is really lost in their journey and they've heard about macros, but have no idea what they are or how to start. And I, we haven't talked about it at all, but um, I reverse diet nearly every single client because Mm. 99% of people come to me under eating. So dieting is calories in, calories out, typically, if you haven't wrecked your metabolism. But think of the average 20-something-year-old female who hasn't tried a crazy diet or had a bad coach or you know followed something they saw in a magazine. And they've probably been under eating knowingly or unknowingly for a long time. And I'm not talking yeah. about disordered eating or eating disorders. I'm just talking about people who think they should be eating 1500 calories or 1200 calories. I would argue to say that that's me. like 98% of women that yeah, have been a, there. If not almost a, every woman, I want to say that almost every woman has been there at some point mm-hmm. in their life. So I really helped to pull you out of that and reverse diet you slowly. And so I've actually had a lot of success where my clients either maintain their weight or lose a lot of weight. One of my favorite my first and favorite client, she actually, we doubled her calories. She was eating 20 or 1200 to 1300 calories. And she ended up finishing around 2,500 calories and she lost seven pounds. Wow. So what you do is you're able to, I'll just use this analogy real quick. So you have this fire and it's your metabolism and it's not burning hot or bright because you don't ever feed it with fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, you never throw twigs, sticks, leaves, or logs on it. So let's say it's your birthday and you go out and you get some Mitchell's ice cream. You you go to Forno, get some pizza. Forno, you, yeah. Yes, you, you just eat lots of stuff. And so you just threw a log on your fire and your fire wasn't burning hot or bright and it can't burn up that, that log. That's so not it was, a very Ayurvedic analogy. Yes. Which is like your digestion is your fire and you don't want to put the fire out. You have to always feed the fire. Mm-hmm. So you you threw a log on your fire. So instead of, you know, throwing a large amount of calories on your fire, let's take small twigs and leaves weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, and throw those on. And twigs and leaves can burn up really quickly because they're smaller. And as you throw more and more on over an extended period of time, your fire gets hot and bright. And so those people that can eat mac and cheese and porno and Mitchell's ice cream and not gain a pound, you can be one of those people and your body can respond quicker to that large amount of calories that you put on and burn it up. But you have to get your metabolism to that point, which is what we do while we reverse diet you. That's a really powerful image and like makes a lot of sense. It's I love the when only things like that click. Like I could just like see the fire. Mm-hmm, I was imagining. It all clicked. <laughs> it really is the only way to get people to eat more and tell them they could lose weight, but they're going to eat more. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard. It seems too good to be true when you just say it and you don't give that cool analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I... 
all the time I have conversations with women and I'm like, I know I sound like I'm selling a magic pill. That's how I felt when my coach was telling me I could eat whatever I wanted and still have abs and a six pack. And we're just told this story in the aisles of the grocery store and the magazine racks and on these diet commercials that you've got to eat less, you've got to take fat burners, um, fat-free, low-carb. And instead, no one's talking about actually healing your body and your metabolism. And then you get to 30 and 40 and you have kids and you're like, okay, well, that's why I can't lose weight and I'm just stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times everyone's like, okay, th- well, it's my age now, or it's right. this lifestyle that I'm in. And you think it's one, it's the fact that you put your body through a certain amount of stress or restriction for so long. That's the reason it's not necessarily the age or it's not necessarily what yeah, going on at that moment. That first, that first and favorite client, she was actually a mom and in her not 40s, but mid 30s. And I'm like, okay, well, nobody else has an excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, where can our listeners learn more about you? I know you can just tell them a little bit about your platforms and, and all of that stuff. So, you guys can find me on Instagram at Al Mazurko. It's the first two letters of my first name and then my last name. And then my website is Al Mazurko Fit. I do macro coaching and then we briefly touched on it, but I do branding coaching as well for mostly fitness and health space businesses and personal brands. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And we uh, we live in the same state, like two hours away. So if you're ever in Columbus, we'll have to get together. Really? Okay. We'll have to get together and grab Forno. We'll grab some pizza together. Is that a plan? Okay. I'm coming down. <laughs> oh yeah, Liz, you're not. I don't have said that. Like you were still here. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess I could come to you guys. Yeah, you should come up to us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because then it's like two. Yeah, I'll come to you guys. We'll make it work regardless. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on. You're welcome. All right, guys, so that's all we have for you today. And as you guys know, make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, as well as follow us on Instagram at Wine and Shine Podcast. You can also catch me at Nourished with Nina and Liz at Elizabeth Garster. But follow us on all the things. We love to connect with you in any way we can. And we hope that you guys have a fantastic week. We'll catch you next time. Bye.